Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. New York Times critic Jason Zinneman joined me for a special year in review of 2015. Instead of just glossing over the headlines like most year-end retrospectives, Jason and I debated what it means to be the comedian of the year and who deserves to be considered in that discussion for 2015, which means we talk quite a bit about Amy Schumer, obviously, but also Tig Notaro, Aziz Ansari, Kevin Hart, Louis C.K., and a lot of other names and highlights, not just this year, but also digging into the past. Because is the best comedian the humor Heisman, or is it the humor homecoming queen or homecoming queen? Is the comedian of the year the funniest person, or is it the MVP of comedy? We dig in, so let's get to it. So I'm sitting here with uh, Jason Zinneman from the New York Times. Uh, he's welcomed me into his home, so we <laughs> so we can talk about comedy in the year in review. So Jason, welcome. Great to be here, Sean. I'm really honored to be here. I should say, we're in my home, and downstairs is my uh, a sleeping baby, and my six-year-old, who I could promise you is awake with her ear right up the, next to the door. So we got to keep it clean. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Budding comedy fan. You're raising them right. Yes. So, so first off, uh, Jason, you're the comedy critic? Is that your official title with the New York Times? I, yes, yes. I have a column I, I call on comedy. And uh, yeah, I guess about four years ago, uh, the Times decided to, for the first time, have a comedy critic who regularly uh, covers comedy in the same way that we cover dance and opera and theater and film. And so it was <coughs> a great opportunity to kind of do something which you rarely get to do, uh, which is sort of start. Def define the contours of your own position. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it sort of happened upon the idea of doing coming out every other week. And um, often the stuff I write is just, you know, like a, a piece of criticism about a comedian or maybe of a, of a show. And th there's sort of a whole calculus that goes into what, a, what, what does one unit of review mean for comedy versus... Uh, movie or something else, but then also I'll do a lot of reporting. So I'll do some of the stories that I'm probably most proud of, or ones that were more me with a reporting hat on and less of a critical hat on. So it uh, and I guess lastly, so there, there's a lot of flexibility to do either one, and there's also flexibility in terms of the format. That I would say the meat of potatoes are, are stand up and and uh, you know some improv, but it also I'll, I'll write about plays and movies and TV, etc. Mm. Now, when you were a young child, was this? Was this the uh, on the vision board <laughs> that you would someday be sitting in in uh, basements <laughs> watching <laughs> watching aspiring comedic performers and judging them? I mean, it could have been. I mean, I grew. I I, I it was not comedy. I, in fact, I, some of my biggest regrets. I grew up in D.C. and my mom ran a, started a theater the year I was born, oh, which okay. was like a real like at the time she started it was like a real. You know, small divey theater. In fact, there, you know, there were like actors doing scenes in our basement, actually. So I grew up around people doing that kind of thing. And right down the street from my mom's theater, she started a theater in like one of the worst neighborhoods in DC. So, um, and because it was cheap, and it's sort of become this highly gentrified neighborhood now. 
Um, but down the street was a club where um, Dave Chappelle got a start. In fact, Dave Chappelle, who's you know about my age, was you know and got started very young. When I, I not only Dave Chappelle, DC has a spectacular comedy scene, especially right. back then. Uh, Martin Lawrence and uh, came out of there. You know, Wanda Sykes, all sorts of great. Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt, yeah. The um, and then there's a bunch of people who who are less famous who are great. Uh, but um, the uh, I, I often think like, oh, I spent so much time at this theater um, and seeing plays, which was a, a great education for me. But I could have been like seeing Dave Chappelle, age 15. He was, you know, four blocks away from me. Oh wow! All this, and he went to the same. It's funny because he went to a performing arts school, which had the his teachers were people that my mom talked. She also ran a acting conservatory. Okay. Um, so, anyways, all this is to say that um, I was sort of grew up around performing arts. Um, I, my sense is I wanted to be a writer. I definitely had no idea I was going to be a comedy guy. I, I was, I was. Uh, drawn into theater first. How young were you when you delivered your first review? <laughs> was it in your mom's theater watching the? It was, and going, oh, that's funny. Going, Boo. <laughs> Actually, honestly, the first review. Uh, there's a couple answers. To this. The first review I remember was of E.T. Okay. Which I think came out in was 82, it, I believe. Was it 82? Yeah, 82. So I was seven or six or seven, mm -hmm. right? And I remember, I remember distinctly. Uh, coming home with my parents mm -hmm. and them saying, what do you think of E.T.? And, and I developed my first opinion. I said, I liked E.T. And they said, why? And I remember like the in my brain being like, why do I like this movie? <laughs> like, I know I like it. Why do I like it? Mm -hmm. And the reason I came up with was, you know, in E.T., that he eats uh, the Reese's Pieces, yes. right? I was like, I thought the Reese's the fact they were real Reese's Pieces made it seem real. Mm. So essentially, my first review was pro-product placement. <laughs> That was my that was my first review. Do you stand by that review today? <laughs> no, I'm 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 horribly embarrassed by that review now. The uh, although I do still love E.T. E.T. is a, is a fantastic movie. It holds up. It definitely holds up. My first review was a uh, I I'd, I reviewed one thing in the high school newspaper of uh, Charles and Cress, a Shakespeare play. Then I reviewed my second review was a, I panned this David Mamet play in college, uh, and the director of the play um, this is a college production. Mm -hmm. Um, threatened uh, or told someone at the newspaper that he was going to beat me up, and I thought this is a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you you've provoked thought and threats. Exactly. Some someone cares. This this is this is this is. I'm going to make a life of this. Okay. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's continue that life now. Let's review 2015. Now, before we get to that, uh, part of what inspired this session was I had written a piece. Well. Let me take a step back. Bill, S Bill Simmons had written a piece in 2010 for ESPN.com where he came up with the idea of a comedy MVP, and then he just rattled off a bunch of who he thought were the MVPs of, of the past 25 years or so, in right. from 2010. And I saw the piece. I loved the premise, but I quibbled with almost all of his selections. So I decided to write my own piece, uh, c counterpointing to him, where I looked through the years from 1975 up through to 2010, what was naming, well, naming an MVP for each year. And I took, I took the, the idea very literally that it was the most valu valuable player. And you know, coming from athletics, the MVP is usually, it's, it's not the funniest person of the year, it's usually who, who made the biggest impact of the year, who was the bona fide star of that season. Right, which is which is different 
from say the 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 funniest person or true or if we were to call it the humor Heisman. Yeah, then there's there's the other. <laughs> I like the alliteration of humor Heisman. Admit it, you you and I both like humor Heisman. So let's just run with it. Let's make okay. it humor Heisman. Let's do this every the humor year. Humor Heisman. Okay. Let's so do let's do this every year. Let me let me say I think this is a great idea, Sean. I'm a, also I, I want to I want to be on the record that I am a big fan of Sean's oh, and Sean uh, and the and the comics comic, which is a gr which I'm a religious reader of and does a fantastic job covering the comedy scene and the comedy world should know that. Uh, I'm glad we have it on the record. And support it. I want to say, and, and part of the reason is I think this is like the, such a fun uh, thing to do that, uh, and I, it's the kind of thing that Bill Simmons does really well with sports. Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, I, but I think it hinges on how you define comedy MVP. I, I, I would be curious, we should, we should talk about that, but I would also just be curious to know what quibbles you have I have quibbles with your list <laughs> what quibbles do you have with Bill Simmons list well with Bill Simmons list it it felt to me like he was just relying on his own memory as he went through the years and didn't actually go back and do research it okay. was just like well what do I remember of 1986 oh well this was what I was doing and the Red Sox almost won the World <laughs> Series and uh, oh I saw this movie so this was the guy this was the guy <laughs> Which is which is perfectly fine, but if you actually like ask Google or ask Siri <laughs> for some information, you could go back and you could look at the box office receipts, look at who was like who was decidedly the star of like the number one TV show, the number one movie, and go, well, that has to be the person who was the person of that year. Right, right. How how do you think we should define the comedian of the year? Well, I th I think just on a general principle. I, I think there's a, a, a mix. It's, it's close to what you do, what, you, what you're saying here, but I would put a slight tweak on it. I, I, have, a, I have a theory about this, which is that at every, every year, mm -hmm. there's sort of one uh, reigning king or queen of comedy. Uh, well, see, that's a different... The, who is the reigning king and queen of comedy? That's a different... It's not that different, because, because here's my... It's sort of who is the, the kind of uh, the pace setter. Mm -hmm. um, who is the person who is the most influential person of comedy? Right. And it, what it shares with your idea is that it's, it, it's not necessarily the funniest person. Um, it, it's not like the... The, the person who is nor is it the most popular person necessarily right. although popularity is a factor um, and so like uh, I and I would say that um, usually like I'll t take an example I would say the obvious thing that most people would agree with was that for the last couple of years until I would say this year mm -hmm. Louis CK is has been that person he's certainly been the king and I would say the reason, the and and, and I, to me, what made, and this is uh, just this will better define what, mm -hmm. what I mean. I, you know, he he had been a, a tremendously respected, successful stand-up for a long time, mm -hmm. but that's not enough, because uh, like it or not, stand-up to get to that next level, you need usually a TV show, um, maybe a movie, but let's right. say a TV show. So you need uh, a, to be a, a great, a respected stand-up usually mm -hmm. to have that other TV show big hit, and then you need some intangible third thing that is kind of paradigm shifting. Right. And uh, so, and also, which is, I would argue, usually uh, spawns imitators. Um, right. And and to me, I think, so So those three things are, are the, the key, right? So I would say, like, I, I think we should talk about this year, but before that, like, when <laughs> I look at your list, mm -hmm. like, I, my biggest quibble, and partially I should say, I'm currently, <laughs> I'm finishing up a book right now on David Letterman. Mm -hmm. um, so... I would say where I would disagree with you, 
most strongly on mm -hmm. your list was we, is that 1986 is David Letterman's year. Um, he made, that was not his year, year in terms of popularity. Mm -hmm. I mean, clear, popularity, you'd go to when he moved to CBS and he was beating Leno in the ratings right. for you know a year and a half. 1993. Yeah, 93. Yeah. Um, where that's also probably the biggest year for late night. I mean, it's just a late night is the most exciting thing. Biggest year comedy. for Bill Carter. Huge year for Bill Carter, <laughs> although 94, I think. I think, I, I think. I think his book came out in 94. I mean, I think but it wouldn't have happened without 93. It is true, but it's interesting to look back at Bill Carter's book, which is, is tremendous, mm -hmm. but it, there's some things about it which, which age... Right. Or, or they, it's very much of its moment, which is 94, because Bill Carter, Bill Carter um, you know, the narrative of it is Letterman, you know, Leno is the kind of safe corporate guy, right. and Letterman d took these risks, and by doing that, Letterman uh, won. Well, if you fast forward just like a year, you know, the, where Leno eclipses him. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, the point is that Letterman... Uh, in terms of popularity, that was his hype. So but, but in terms of influence, mm -hmm. in terms of cultural right. sort of zeitgeist creating well, comedy, Le Letterman '86 was at his height. And I would compare him, you know, to like John Stewart in like 2007. Of course, this is with the benefit of hindsight. No, this is if you look at the press of at the time. What was so? What have you uncovered? You'll in your you, research, you, you gotta buy, but, but for 1986 you, specifically, why? I mean, you could argue a bunch a of years in the 80s. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I hope you invite me back on when my book comes out and I can go and read it. But I would say he was on every magazine cover in '86. Okay, he was uh, doing uh, incredibly innovative conceptual shows. You know, the 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 window where he was the uh, the amount of like buzz he was creating mm -hmm. uh, in '86 okay. was, uh, and and uh, you know it, it was reflected all in, in terms of Emmy wins. He ha he had a streak that started I think in it was late it was '83 it was like I think it was '84 '83 '84 '85 '87. I would say the uh, um, so those mid '80s I would say Letterman owned uh, artistically as a comedian. But you'll um, give me that comic relief was a big deal. It was a big deal, but that's if you're just now. So is your comedy MVP <laughs> doesn't do with popularity? Because I mean, you're, then then you're saying Whoopi Gold. Who did Whoopi Goldberg influence? But I'm talking about that year. Comic comic relief was a huge deal. I agree, it was a huge deal. But we're not. <laughs> but, but, we're, but, we're so we're talking about 2015 now. We're not. Okay, so we're 20, not talking about 2015 five years from now. That's true, but I think you could already say like you don't go back and revote the American League MVP. <laughs> from <laughs> okay. Well, they were on steroids. I, so, I actually you know. disagree, and I, a little bit, and I think we could illustrate it by talking concretely about who what what happened this year. Okay. That's what, this is the end of the year. Thing. Yeah. To me, I think you'll agree with this. This is obviously the year of Amy Schumer. It even for people who don't like Amy Schumer, it's the year of Amy Schumer. I mean, it's been undeniable. She's just dominated everything, and she's been inescapable. Yes. And, and, and Undeni undeniable. I think you know. A lot. Who, well, who was the person who who gave the famous advice to aspiring comedians that said you have to be undeniable? Yes. And in 2015, Amy Schumer was everywhere. She had the stand-up. She had the TV show. And she then had the she, movie. And then she, she had the movie, which that is the third wrote. thing. And she has this sort of, uh, you know, I feel like she does have this extra kind of cultural meaning, which yes. is as her, her show got more feminist. Um, it be and I think if you there's a uh, if you look at how she without being strident without be she revolutionized Comedy Central yes and I think you could already see we're not even done with, with 2015 and you can already see the influence she's had I mean yeah. Nikki Glaser's got a show coming up you had uh, 
um, you know, what's that, uh, the, 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 the Nikki, uh, the other Comedy Central show with two women. Um, Broad City. No, not Broad City, <laughs> the more recent one. There's, a, since Inside Amy Schumer, mm. Comedy Central has transitioned from a, a network that was catering to young men. Right, they were definitely a college 18 to 24 year old man boys. Yes, I mean, I, did a, now I did a story where I, I was sort of embedded with Amy Schumer's uh, show before it started in its writer's room before mm-hmm. in its first year and I spent a lot of time talking to the Comedy Central executives and yeah you just heard about it like the most important people audience was young men and so it was all about all right how do we what are the numbers for young men versus right. it and that's how a lot of TV work that just that conversation has shifted right they slotted her initially right after Tosh.0 to see could she appeal to the same audience. And she beat, I mean, she, op, you know, she yeah. did better than, I think the most important significant number in a way was that she beat Tosh among young men, um, which I think really changed the calculus. But, I, but the other thing I would say, here's another metric. Mm-hmm. When everybody, especially in the comedy world, mm-hmm. it, it says you're, you're not as good as people say you are and it sh- like are shitting on you, mm-hmm. Then you're that person, <laughs> and I'm sure you're. I'm sure Sean, you spend more time with comedians than anybody, and and I hear from comedians too. They're like Amy Schumer's at a moment where everyone is like, ah, oh, she's not that good. Oh, she knows. Oh, like right. HBO special, it's not so good. Isn't it? Like that to me is like the biggest sign that she's at, she's the one. Like, because that's what people are saying about right. Louis. Like, ah, oh, Saint Louis. Everyone's like, you know, people. That, that's D- didn't didn't you in fact slight her? How's that? Earlier in in your piece on Eddie Brill. Calling her Anthony Jeselnik's girlfriend? No, that was him who said that. Oh, that was him who said <laughs> that. <laughs> That's, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I was way ahead of the curve. I wrote about uh, Amy Schumer when she was a stand-up mm-hmm. before she had any show. But that was in your piece, though. Yeah. But that's just no, a sign. No, 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 no. But let me let me explain this because right. you just you just you just <laughs> slandered me. The uh, what happened was is I wrote about her. It was my literally my first comedy column. I or my second comedy column. Uh, I wrote about a bunch of people, one of whom was Amy Schumer, who I had just seen at Gotham, and I was like, she's fantastic. Then, when I was looking around for a piece to be uh, to follow around writer's room, uh, I, I, p- I picked her, mm-hmm. not because beca- uh, I knew she had a show coming out. And um, anyways, in, in this piece I wrote about Eddie Brill, which got Eddie Brill, which Eddie Brill, I don't know, didn't get Eddie Brill fired, but anyways, which Eddie Brill got fired after the piece it came ca- out. It caused quite a kerfuffle. It caused quite a kerfuffle. Um, he said some sexist remarks about women, um, and comedians, and then afterwards, in a comment section, he said, which is a, which really says something about how much things have changed. He was talking about some of the sourcing of the people mm-hmm. in my piece, and he said, "Oh, he was d- dis- dismissing the people who I, who I quoted, one of whom was Amy Schumer." He said, "You just quoted uh, Anthony Jeselnik's girlfriend." <laughs> Now think about that. This was only three years ago. Yeah. Amy Schumer was known to, to a very powerful guy in the comedy world as Anthony Jeselnik's girlfriend. Um, that says a lot about the sexism in that in that world, but right. also says something about how much she's how how fast she's come. Anyways, all that that's that's old news. I think that. But um, but it, but it, it goes to your point about about wanting to sh- wanting to prove yourself to people who are slighting you. Yes. But 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 now she's like now this now it's the turned around where people are sli- like I hear from queens all the time being like Amy Schumer's not so great like she's like because I just like it's the jealousy kicks in now, right. right that happened a few years ago with Whitney Cummings when she had a special and then she sold two s- TV shows at the same time yes 
And <laughs> there was a lot, <laughs> a lot of bitter resentment that was going around the comedy clubs. But here's, let me ask you this, Robert. Here's the but question. That's just jealousy and resentment. If we agree that Amy Schumer is like, took over from Louis as the pace setter, mm-hmm. however we define it, here's the thing I was wondering about recently. Has a, w- has a woman, or who's the last woman to be the comedy MVP or the humor Heisman or whatever you want to p- call it? Um, uh, well, I, as I was looking back over the last few years, I mean, you could make a case that, that 2011 was Melissa McCarthy's year. Really? Yeah. She, she essentially won the uh, Emmy for Best Actress in a Comedy, not because she was the best actress in Mike and Molly, but because she was so great in Bridesmaids that everybody wanted to give her an award. Right, right. And then she immediately after that was hosting SNL and, and being lauded as one of the best hosts. Right, right, right. That was a banner year for her. But that means you're saying she is a more of an MVP in 2011 than Louis was. And Louis was already huge in 2011. Louis was even huger in 2012. 2012 was when he won a Peabody Award, a Grammy, and a couple of Emmys. Right, right, right. He hadn't won those things before, 2012. Right. So you're saying, so you're saying, Melissa McCarthy, 2011, is the, was the biggest person in comedy, was the MVP, was the biggest person in comedy, 2011. I would make a case for it. I never even thought of that, but it is, yeah, I think well, you, you could make a case, for sure. I mean... Th- you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. these comedians don't exist in a vacuum. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree. Uh, to me, the only women who who could claim to be like the the the, the uh, pace setter in mm-hmm. comedy before Schumer would be Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr, definitely. When she had, I think, at the height of her show, and yeah. this is probably like late eighties, yeah, um, yeah. or Ellen DeGeneres, right? When, when she came out. Um, that was a huge year. I feel like they were in their own, you know, in different ways. But even that, that those are hard cases to make. Because I, I gave Roseanne the MVP in 1988 back in my old piece. Yeah, I, th- I, I think. And I gave Ellen the MVP in 1997. So there. But Ellen, I think, to a large degree. And I gave Tina Fey in, tw- in 2008 when she was Sarah Palin. Well, if once you open it up to non-stand-ups, I think, yeah, that, then... I think you're right. Th- then, then there are other people than Melissa McCarthy, Tina Fey. It's, it's true. There's probably. Um, I mean, the impact that Tina Fey ha- had in 2008. I mean, that's undeniable. That's true. No, it. it I, I think the more unusual. It changed an election. <laughs> I think the more unusual thing is the is. We could is be living in a McCain-Palin era. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but I would say she's yeah, she's no no question. But I think that female stand-ups. Being the pace setter right. is, is more unusual, which makes Schumer a right. Really Joan big Rivers deal. had had her year when she launched her late night show, true. Which back then was even more of a deal because it wasn't so splintered and expanded. The universe wasn't as big when Joan Rivers left Johnny Carson to start her own show. True, but I would never say she was she was dominating the cult. The no, the but it, but it was it was a big deal. It was, it was a, a big, big deal. deal, and it was a landmark. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's obviously there's been female comedians who've done landmark things before. But this sort of like to me, there's only like uh, you if you if you're there's only like really a handful of stand-ups who have occupied this position. Right. Some of whom are not that great. I mean the uh, I mean I think you can't. Well, I'm not going by the Forbes list of. No, but the Dane Cook. I don't think you could argue that Dane Cook wasn't the the pace setter. 
Oh, mean? no, he was definitely. Yeah, I mean, for at least, yeah, I mean, not only because of his stand-up specials, but because of his use of technology. I mean, he was revolutionized a lot of stuff. You know, Andrew yeah. Dice Clay, I think, had a year. Yeah. The, um, yeah, Andrew Dice Clay was definitely the comedy MVP back in, like, 1989. Yeah, I think the, uh, but then in between. Without the a doubt. But there, weren't, there weren't everybody and their brother playing Madison Square Garden. Right, right. No, I think that's It was true. just him. Right. <laughs> this year we've had... Uh, this is the thing. This, c getting back to 2015. Yes, yes. If it wasn't... It's been such a, a huge year for comedy that if not for Amy Schumer, there's a handful of people who could claim, lay claim to being the MVP of the year. Yeah. Let's... Let me throw out a name. Tig Notaro. Tig Notaro started with a documentary at Sundance that later showed up on Netflix, a documentary at South by Southwest that showed up on Showtime, and a special on HBO. Three different specials on three different platforms in the same calendar year. Right. Who does that? No, it's incredible. But, but, I, but, 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 I, but it's funny, because I was looking at it back, I associate, for instance, I saw Tignatero do her, some of those specials, like the one, for example, the one on Showtime was not fantastic. I like that one, the road trip one. It was okay, but it wasn't your. W this is not the best comedy special. This is not top ten, top twenty. This is right. not. This is not a. It was fine. I mean, Tina Taylor was always going to be good, but I saw her do her recent. You know, where she she took her did a topless set, mm. which right. was a, rem a remarkable follow up to what you thought you couldn't be topped, right. which is her cancer set, right? I saw that in 2014 at the New York Comedy Festival. Right, and then she later filmed that for the HBO. Then she later filmed it. So, so it's in my mind, I sort of think of that one mm -hmm. as, in terms of like straight stand-up, and, and you're like one of the few podcasts who I could actually be like, all right, let's not talk about like the <laughs> HBO version, like, like the real stand-up version right. was 2014. Right. So that's why I would say, the I, I, you could make an argument also, I would say, along with, uh, you know, Aziz. Yes. Had just, um, again, I'm not the, there's people who are bigger Aziz fans than me. I, 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 I was not impressed by his Madison Square Garden show. Uh, I mean, but he's clearly an incredible talent, and he's got this Masters of None. Mas Masters of None, which he's been nominated for uh, Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Awards. Right. Uh, the Madison Square Garden feat, and the multi-million dollar book. That's, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Exactly. That was all this year. That was all this year. That was I mean, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, uh, Kevin Hart sold out multiple arena dates all throughout the tri-state region. Kevin Hart, I mean, if you did... He, he sold out multiple dates, Madison Square Garden, Barclays, yeah. and, uh, and Newark. And that insane and then show played, in and then Philly. And then played the stadium in Philly. But see, like, then if you're just talking about, like, box office, Kevin Hart would probably win every year. Like, well, just the, last, just the last few. Last, okay, just the last, last few. few. And, but he's also, like, I think Kevin Hart, you, could, uh, you know, I would argue that he is the... Right now, we're in this interesting moment where comedy is increasingly being seen in stadiums and in music venues. Right. So you almost have to judge it differently, I think. It's such a different experience to see comedy in a little club. The music venue. And I see a lot of comedians who are great comedians who don't know how to play big venues. Kevin Hart, I think, is a genius at playing big venues. He understands the showmanship of it, he th which I think as the years go on, comedians are going to be forced to have to do more elaborate theatrical things. Oh, he definitely uh, like learned a lot from what Dane Cook did, and he then did. took it uh, to another level. He really did. He really did. And then, of, you know, and then Louis C.K., a reigning king of comedy, still, you know, had a, a, a new season on FX and uh, another special, seven Emmy nominations, one Emmy win. 
I mean, that's. Uh, yeah, although I would argue that, and I think Louis had a, you know, he, it's almost like he 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 set the bar so high that this is partly a reflection of that. But this was the story of Lucy Case. This mm. is the year where he gave up the crown. This to, to me, the right. special was not as good as his previous specials, and the this season, I, which was really, I'm always every season of Louis is fascinating, but was not his best season. Uh, here's my wild card. I would put for somebody who I think had yeah. a, an insanely great year. Yeah, uh, I, I would let's say. Let's see if it's on my list. All right, I would say Billy Eichner. Oh, Billy Eichner. Here's my. You're just coming one. off your your panel with him, so well, you're you've got a little afterglow. That may be true. <laughs> well, I, I did I, I just interviewed him at the Pelly Center, but through doing that, I, I was forced to grapple with what he did this year, mm -hmm. which is that uh, he's got two hilarious shows. On TV. Right, Billy on the Street, and then Difficult People. Right, so he's on got Hulu. on Hulu. So he's got two, gr and he's the star of, and so he's, and, and you know he's the star of two shows. But more importantly, I would say he's arguably doing the most interesting kind of talk show on TV right now. And as the show has evolved, it's become more and more like a talk show, right? Than, um, a, than, than a, a game shouty show. than a shouty quiz show. And I think his last, this most, the fourth season of Billy on the Street is far more ambitious in terms of what it has to say, in, in terms of its satire, in terms of um, just in ter the scale, the budget, all the stuff. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a far more ambitious production than previous seasons. Uh, and he's proven, I think there was a sense that Billy, oh, he's a really funny guy, but it's kind of a, a narrow niche thing. Right. He's proven that within the Billy character, just like Colbert did, within this Billy character, he can do other characters, first of all. He can do a satire of a news, of a Katie Couric news special. Mm. He could do, make comments about homophobia and comedy, his bit about Mark Mark Twain and Eddie Murphy uh, alternating. And he can do things uh, like the funniest, probably the funniest five minutes I saw all year was Billy doing his bro character. And when he did the uh, lightning round with the ability where he played kind of a bro. And you also saw uh, Billy can really act. Uh, and that is also true of difficult people. He uh, he's not just shouting. He has a, some scenes that are quite quiet mm -hmm. and subtle. So I wouldn't say he had a bigger year than Amy Schumer, but in an interesting way, uh, he had a breakout breakout year. Where would you put Mark Marin on that list? I was just, about, I was just thinking about him because he another one you wouldn't guess would be on there. But I think Mark Marin had a breakthrough in a when you way. have the president of the United States in your garage. <laughs> I mean, we that's know that's a breakthrough. That's year. a pretty serious. Year. I think we we of course known of Mark Maron and his podcast for a long time, but that was a big deal. Plus, you know, I've got to say, I've been following Mark Maron's um, live performance since uh, I covered theater. I, I reviewed him at Ars Nova okay. for Time Out in the '90s, like uh, his uh, you know his theater shows, mm -hmm. and I've always liked him, but I've never loved his. I've never uh, you know I, I've I've never thought like he was as good as Louis. He had the same ambition. The show he did at BAM this year was one of the best stand-up shows I saw this year. Um, and not just one of the best, but one of the most ambitious. Um, okay. And so, I mean, I w you know, th which, you know, he's not in the league of Amy Schumer, but if you combine the fact, I think that artistically, he's still growing, which is right, incredible for this guy who's been around for as long another as he Another season has. of his IFC show. Another season, he does the show. So I think he's on the list. I, another person I would say, I mean, when I th when looked back before you came here, I was looking at the old, you know, the specials I saw. Jen Kirkman, I thought, had a great special this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, you she's know. on the verge, I think. You know, okay. She's on the verge of that. Yeah. Of no, of, of of making that you know she leap into more people's consciousness. That's true. She needs a show. She needs like a yeah. movie. Well, or she's show. working on it. She's developing a show. Is that right? Yeah. This What's season. her doing? <sighs> You're putting me on the spot since I don't have my. 
Google <laughs> in front of me, but I know she's she's got a show in development. This who else this do you think? Season. Who else around? Who would be on the? Uh, I think Chris Hardwick continues to to just be everywhere. Oh, I don't know how the how that guy has all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he he has a he has a true podcast empire right. and and a theater empire. Like he's cl- he's cultivated shows such as the meltdown and um, you know the podcast talking dead at midnight has become now just a, an assumed staple of the late night it's it's you don't see that going away anytime soon no it's true and and, and it's uh, he probably is the most he's the one we all f- overlook um, he's kind of the host with the most <laughs> yeah, I mean it's true. I mean, literally, I, the host, he's the most hosting. I mean, my problem the most hosting. My problem is, is like, I there's not one thing Chris Hardwick does that I'm incredibly impressed with. Like, I'm he, I'm incredibly impressed with him as mm-hmm. a, and and I I give him respect for as a cultural figure, mm-hmm. but you know, it's I, I he's not like a brilliant stand up. His midnight is not. I don't think is like a spectacular show, uh, so that so I, that's why I would put it. You know, I don't. I don't. But that's your own personal. Yeah, that's my own personal. That's your own personal preference. Right. Well, to some see, I try to when I when I do a comedy MVP ballot, <laughs> I you're just I a robot. You're pure objectivity in this. I try to take myself out of it and go, well, what did the people say? Like, well, and that the people uh, vote with the worst Fallon. Fa- I, I would if you're gonna put yourself out of it, mm-hmm. then I would put. Look, we had this huge transition in late right. night this year. You had new hosts in uh, – you had all these new hosts. Right. And after all the dust has settled, the clear winner and the guy who I, I arguably has spawned a lot of more imitators than anyone is Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon is the king of late night right now in right. terms of ratings and in terms of artistic influence. I mean, everyone's got to be a nice guy. Everyone's playing the same games that he did. Oh, yeah. J- uh, the, the Late Late Show with James Corden is a direct – Answer. I completely agree. To Jimmy Fallon. Completely agree. CBS was like, we need an all-around entertainer, showman. Let's find one of them. And Colbert to some extent. like Colbert, Colbert's show has turned into more of that than I was anticipating. Well, I, th- I went to a test show, and I didn't think it was going to be the show that it already has evolved into I agree. after a, a few months. Fallon, has cha- Fallon, more than anybody else, has changed Light Night because of his success. Right. If, he d- if it wasn't super successful... In terms of ratings, uh, I don't think that would have happened. Yeah, I th- I ha- when I was looking back over the last few years, I think I, I would have put him in uh, maybe uh, 2013 when he uh, when he ma- assumed the title, but right. then also won a Grammy. He won the Grammy. True, but I think like well, and the Grammy was based on his late night work. But to I guess if you I premise his success not on you know as you said we're not saying how good he is or mm-hmm. on the fact that he's been successful. If Colbert started and beat him soundly in ratings, mm-hmm. which could have happened, right. then all that what happened before, w- you could chalk it up to, oh, Letterman was in his twilight years, so right. the ratings were really low, uh, Kimmel didn't have an eighth season of tradition, but now that he had real competition, then he, w- well, now we have proof. Now we have, now we, in 2015 was the year where we, where we found out that Fallon is for real in terms of ratings and success. Right. And it's probably... Uh, gonna be the pace setter, just like Leno was. For, I mean, that's the good money is that he'll be there at the at the top for H- years. How much of a statement do you think that is about Fallon as an entertainer, and how much of it do you think is a statement about his show being a variety show and not a talk show? Huh. Um, because it's not a talk show. There's very little. 
talk panel element to it. Even the panels turn into games. So you're saying that that it's more popular because it's not. Well, a no, I'm asking you how much of it is attributed to the format of the show, right? And how with the the games and whatnot, and how how much of it is attributable specifically to Jimmy as a personality? I think it's. I'm asking. I'm not, right, I'm not right, making right. a statement. I, I, the, the, the short answer is I don't know because, you know, it's, I'm not an expert. I'm not a network exec. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why people are popular. I have a sense of what I think is good or bad. Mm-hmm. I, my guess is I think it has more to do with Fallon because I think people do exaggerate. This is where I think I'm probably a little outside, a little bit of the common wisdom is that, like, Fallon didn't invent doing these games and oh. these stunts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a long tradition of this stuff. In fact, the Jay Leno show tried to be this exact thing in primetime and failed. Frankly, even the person who people think is the least like Jimmy Fallon, David Letterman, if you look back on the pre-86, like his 84 when he was doing the uh, Velcro? Know, wearing the suits. Yeah, the Velcro, Velcro was the most famous, but like, Every week, you know, he had a million different kinds of suits. Mm-hmm. So it was all, of course, derived from Steve Allen. Right. But Letterman at the time was like, you know, the late night was Parr and Carson were all about the monologue and these sort of, you know, conversation. Um, Letterman blew that up. He also had ordinary, he had, you know, he played, he, there was, it's interesting if you read the press of Letterman in 83, 84, some of it's quite similar to the press of Fallon, but anyways, I, I think there's something about Fallon's personality that, that is, is definitely clearly oh yeah. really appealing. Um, and, um, and, and, and even though we have proof that you can host The Tonight Show and it can lose, right. um, The Tonight Show is a powerful platform. Um, I think it gives you a little bit of a head start. Um, and Lorne Michaels, I think, deserves a hell of a lot of credit. Um, I mean, I think the other thing we should talk about is, is you know, the incredible decline of Comedy Central. I mean, what, ha- the, you know, the... Why do you say decline? Again, we're talking... Why do you pick that, why do you choose that word? Because we're talking about success mm-hmm. and about influence. And I think w- there was, for people who weren't around uh, before, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, the, uh, all they've known was that, like, smart, satirical incredibly bu- buzzy and viral um, political satire was going to be on TV and Comedy Central from 11 till midnight. Oh. Before that, that didn't exist. You're just so talking about the late night hour. And now that they've lost Stuart, Colbert, Oliver, mm-hmm. um, and two of them, I mean, Stuart and Oliver now are both, uh, both signed up at HBO. This is, that's a, hu- and now they lost Key and Peele. That's a huge uh, talent exodus, right? And the people who replaced them. I like. I actually really do like Larry Wilmore, Trevor Noah. I'm and Larry Wil- Wilmore is going to deliver the address at the White House. Of but the ratings are way down on both those shows. Now they could that could recover. Right. I think that's that's more that's more attributable to the shift in what late night viewing is than well to those. Why is that? Those I mean, they, it wasn't like Stewart in 2015 right. was any. Was was in a, a less um, fragmented world. Also, I think, you know, I think how could the people at Comedy Central not be kicking themselves about John Oliver? I mean, he right. left well, the year before Colbert. They re- retired. They didn't know what was. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know, but I mean, I mean I, it's sort of. Did they? With hindsight, you can go. Yeah, they should have. They should have locked that down. 
I mean, there's ways to do. There's you, you give a guy a holding deal, you right. spend money. You, yeah. you do the NBC thing where you go, this show is going to be yours. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, look, I, <laughs> on I, this I, date, I get it. There it's, will it's be hard. a handover. But I mean, I, I know from I know from talking to people who that uh, when Stewart signed at HBO, mm-hmm. the people at Comedy Central were shocked because mm. um, that says, all right, it wasn't just that, like he's retiring. Right. He still is working. He just left Comedy Just So now you've got, who knows, maybe next year, Stewart will have a, some version of The Daily Show right. on HBO with John Oliver. I mean, think about that. Comedy Central had these two guys, and people, you know, we haven't talked about John Oliver, but yeah. he's been just absolutely destroying it. And I don't think there's anybody yeah. in late night who's who's more, like, generating more buzz right. than, than Oliver. Um, yeah, I think, the, I think the viewers who tuned into Stewart and Colbert just migrated over to Oliver. Yeah. Instead of sticking around with Trevor and Larry. I mean, I, I, I think... But there's time for them to figure out a new audience. There is, but I, this is the, this is the season. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if they don't recover, there's not a lot of time. If they don't, like, like this is their bread and butter. I think the, the real shocking news that people haven't talked about is that I think everyone sort of assumed Stewart would leave after the election. Right. That's when the bread and butter of that right. show is. That was the unexpected part that he would leave before election day. And it's not even. It's also. Uh, it's also the general election. I would say is less exciting than right now. I mean, the Republican primary, the Republican primary. This is this is when Stewart was at his best. No wonder he wants to get back in the game. Don't you don't you miss Stewart and Colbert? I do. I mean, I miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we have Colbert. We just but don't we have don't Colbert. I, I miss. I miss. <laughs> quotation right Sean here. did the uh, quotation right here. Exactly. <laughs> the uh, I, I gotta say, I think that was a big loss too. In that, uh, you know, there's some things I like that Colbert does, but you know, I wrote a story uh, before he left saying like, there's a risk. The risk of we need to balance the risk of losing the character Colbert, mm-hmm. the Colbert Report, uh, with the advantage of gaining the real Colbert. Now, I can understand why he wanted to stop be doing the character, right. but as a viewer, I, I, I so far, I, I have to say uh, that's a losing proposition. Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell, but we can make our judgments now. It's good to go right now. <laughs> uh, oh, right, that's why we're here. We're here to, we're here to pass judgment. So, uh, without further ado, is there anyone we haven't brought up that you want to make sure we mention talking about 2015. Mm. Hannibal Verse. Chappelle. I'm tr- well, Chappelle, yeah. I'm trying to remember the Cosby stuff was all... It was the Hannibal's Cosby thing in 2015? That was, that was 2014, yeah. Um, I got to say, this is not... He's not definitely not one of the... That's not one of the best. Or, but um, I sort of thought I'd seen everything that Anthony Jeselnik... Had, uh, had glad you're bringing him up. Yeah, but uh, but I feel like his last special, like thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. I think he took it to a next level with that. And and it's turned out even just since that special came out a couple of months ago, thoughts and prayers has become a talking point. I mean, th- in th- the media, in politics, and basically everyone's come around to it. I mean, Anthony Justin like has a has a bit in 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 his new special where he. Goes after the phrase talk when p- after a big tragedy, people saying thoughts and prayers, where he basically says like this is worth less than nothing. Yeah. But people do, this. and then there was a moment after the, the recent tragedy. I don't know if it was San Bernardino. I was just the San Bernardino. It wasn't Paris. Yes, the uh, um, when it seemed like for whatever the sort of consensus among the media for was 
revulsion with the overdoing of thoughts and prayers. And it was just, it was startling to see, like, the sort of respectable media opinion all come around. It was the to front. It was, it was the front page of the Daily News. <laughs> was that the right? next morning? They had the, the that's right. They had the Republican presidential candidate tweets that were all thoughts and prayers. And of course, that's uh, nothing about gun control. It was just thoughts and prayers. I mean, that that uh, to me, it's like a great argument for for stand up, yeah. where like here's this guy who does like people, you know, does kind of shocking, you know, willfully obnoxious stand up. And you know it, it is a cliche when people say, "Oh, they'll say the things that no one else will be willing to say." And it, but there, some cliches are also true. And he was saying something that you know not so long ago, which seems like, "Oh, he's just saying it for bad taste." But actually, he was saying he was he was saying something that I think a lot of people believe but wouldn't say out loud. Yeah. And then it got to a point where we've had so many of these horrific tragedies, and we've seen so many of these hollow, uh, you know, expressions on social media that you know, we came around to Anthony Jessel's point of view. I would also say, the other thing I would say is that you know, I think I, one of the best jokes on that album, or one of the best jokes of the year, I thought, you know, I, it's hard to tell a new Holocaust joke, but, <laughs> but <laughs> Anthony Jeselnik has a spectacular Holocaust joke. Mike Kaplan has the world's greatest Holocaust joke of all time in my mind. Oh. Was um, it from 2015, though? No, it's not. Okay. It's not. But I would, but I, but I would say if I was ranking Holocaust jokes, I'd put Mike Kaplan first. <laughs> M- Mel Brooks is maybe next. But G- Jesnick had one where he was like, "I'm gonna, I would fuck it up." But it was like, uh, "I lost my father," and then he was <laughs> like, "I lost my father in the Holocaust Museum." <laughs> and there was gr- <laughs> I, what I love about it is that like it has it had two punchlines, which is one like the surprise, or right. it, it actually had more punchlines, but it had the surprise of the first thing. But then. When he says Holocaust, I lost me in the right. Holocaust. There's like a millisecond between Holocaust and museum, and there's <laughs> a second punchline <laughs> in that millisecond. Yeah. And like I just, I th- that was of course what makes Jesselin that great is the the concision of his writing. Yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a great year for comedy. Yes, it has. A bad year for the world, a great <laughs> year for comedy. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate uh, you sitting down with me to to hash some of it out. This has been really fun, uh, Sean, and thank you for, for coming over here to do it, and, uh, and best of luck. Let's do it again next year. I'd love to. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.